Can I have a glass of water? Who's that handsome? I got the hiccup! Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI Radio. Good morning and welcome back to another episode of Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5, a show where we ask a bunch of artists some questions and hope they give good answers. I'm Giselle Stambra, your host for today. And I'm David Capra. We are broadcasting live from the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Today we'd like to continue to pay respects to our Indigenous listeners, guests and their elders past, present and emerging. You sound a bit nasally today, is I it fair do, to say? I do, don't I? I do, I do. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit stuffy. Um, I was just, uh, you know... Uh, saying before that I feel like I'm doing too many things in my life and I'm doing them all really badly. <laughs> I don't know if this resonates with you, it listeners. With me. I feel like, you know, maybe it's just part of like too being much, in, too badly. Too too hard, too fast, too furious, too yeah. too soon. Too 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 true. Too true, David. Too true. too true. You were in a car doing a marathon this morning? Um no, I was I was um <laughs> Uh, in a car and there was also a marathon this morning going around you yeah yeah so all the roads were closed but you know like i don't even know how to drive um and it like i'm (laughs) i'm I don't. I certainly don't get a car here, and I stayed at a friend's place last night, and I was getting a lift, and I thought that was a bit special. And then um, we sort of got, and the, all the roads were closed, and I was like, "Oh, maybe I should just get the train." And they were like, "No, no, it's okay. You know, we'll 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 drive." And then the traffic was really bad, and then there was lots of toot tootings, and there toot, was an tooting. accident. Well it, uh, well, it is a special Sunday. I've invited Bertie Blackman to join us this morning to talk about her late father, Charles Blackman. And after that, we'll be sitting down to talk with a very talented curator, Emily McDaniel, about the exhibition at the University of Technology called Void. And finally, it's theatre, but not as you know it. Uh, we chat with Danielle Harvey about an upcoming interactive theatre event amid night visit. That sounds like a lot, so we better get started, and what better way to kick off the show than with a track from our music curator Layla L. Reyes. This is Habits, and their track Ether. You are listening to Canvas on FBI Radio Habits with Ether. Welcome back. You are listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5. Our first guest this morning is a powerhouse dream curator 
an all-round fantastic person. Uh, Emily McDaniel, I'm consistently <laughs> impressed with the sophistication and the sincerity of your approach to curating. You're a champion of artists, and um, some of our listeners, you might know her from the stunning work that she did at Barangaroo um, 4000 Fish, which was a large-scale installation that celebrated Barangaroo the woman and the resilient fisherwoman of Roarang. She's actually here to talk about another upcoming exhibition um, at UTS Void, which brings together contemporary Aboriginal artists from across the country. Thank you, Emily, for coming in today. Um, Can you tell us a little bit more about Void? Yeah, Void has been an exhibition that's been sitting at the back of my mind for... Oh, look, about five years, you know, and I've seen it just appear in contemporary practice in a manifestation of ways since then. And, you know, in looking at the void, what we're saying here is that it isn't a space that's vacuous, that's empty, that's void of meaning. It actually is this undefined space that's occupied with meaning and significance for the artist. Um, So we see these works, these ideas manifest through photography, through sculpture, through video itself. You know, there's this one beautiful work, Darwin Dore by Jonathan Jones. And the title is Axe Having. So it refers to the landscape as in the landscape holds axes. That stone country holds axes and they're sitting there waiting for the maker to remove them from country. So it's like there's knowledge embedded in that place and when you see that that kind of place where the axe has been removed, it speaks of knowledge, that void, that absence in the landscape. It speaks of activated cultural knowledge. So it's all of these different ways, quite broad, quite diverse, in some ways contradicting at times, but all kind of considering what that cultural meaning is of the void, you know. And um, the work that you're describing by Jonathan Jones, um, what what does it look like? Mm, it... Well, as you're sitting there, you kind of the immediate assumption is that you're watching this monochrome landscape that's just gently panning, you know, seeing all of these ridges and valleys. But what it actually is, is it's the serrated edge of a stone tool, microscopically. Oh, wow. So it's picking up on all of those small little lines and ridges, you know, speaking that the landscape is the axe and the axe in a way is a landscape in and of itself. That's um, so, I, you know, the, just the image that you painted there is so beautiful. It's incredible that you say that, you know, this is a, something that's been going on in the back of your mind because I just don't know how you would have space. You've had such a busy year. It's, you know, that you could, you know, still have space in, in the garage of your mind because um, already this year you have had so many shows. Some of our um, listeners might have been to the show Measured Response that you curated at NAS earlier in yeah. the year, um, and that was about sort of materiality and the body. Um, could you speak to that project a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I'm, I'm starting to realise that my obsession lies in the body and space, and certainly Measured Response was around the body, and it was about, you know these bodily relationships that artists have to the materials that they work with, you know. And it started by me actually observing Lucy Simpson, a great friend of mine. And as she weaves, she kind of measures lengths out with her full arm. So it's like whatever she measures is somehow calibrated to her very own body, 
you know, and there were ceramicists and you could see their hands in the work in and of itself. They were extensions of the artist, but also that exhibition... I like trying to talk about things that are difficult to talk about, that are difficult to find words for. And for me, that's what measured response is. And it spoke about, well, perhaps, you know, there's a spiritual approach to making work. Lucy Simpson spoke about this. She said, you know, before I make a work, I dream of that. And that work becomes a reality. And Julie Freeman, a senior artist, said, you know, um, I'm just the hands. I'm just the maker. It's my ancestors that are the designers. And so kind of talking about these things that are difficult to speak about, you know, things that we might feel uncomfortable talking about because they might seem a bit airy-fairy or intangible <laughs> or something like that, but finding ways to hold that discussion through artists. I'm really glad that you brought up um, Lucy's work because you guys have uh, worked together uh, across a couple of projects and I think that it's lovely to have this relationship as a curator um, and an artist and being able to you know, see both of your works sort of flourish together. I'm wondering if you could um, speak about the advantages as a curator of, of building like ongoing relationships through projects yeah I mean I don't believe in disposable curating you know I don't believe in working with one artist one time having that one show and then saying well I've done that we need to keep returning to these conversations constantly and mm. and perhaps even that's kind of a cultural methodology of curating within indigenous artistic practice but um, I learned from Lucy and she learns from me it's two-way and we both have those dreams of when we're going to work together and that's when I pick up the phone the next day and say hey it's about that time again so I've been able to see her development but also build upon that trust and that knowledge is really important particularly to sustaining you know a really um, supportive arts environment that's yeah. um I think a, a really valuable thing to to hear because I feel like, um, you know, and especially perhaps at this time of year, the pace of um, art can seem very overwhelming. I know that you, you know, everybody's got a lot of balls in the air, you've got a lot of projects going on, but it's um, sort of uh, great to hear that there's... Um, longevity as well between these these sorts of things and I know of course you're very passionate about our public programs and education and mm. um, sort of embedding indigenous knowledge in um, that aspect of your uh, curatorial approach could you speak about some of the uh, things that you have planned for void in that regard and maybe even how our listeners might be able to attend or get involved yeah so we'll have a lot of the public programs listed on the UTS, web, UTS Gallery website and one of them that we're doing is I'm holding one along with two other colleagues is we're holding yarning circles within that um, space where we have the conversations that the artworks are generating in that space and that will be done with uh, our UTS education academic Annie Renee Winters who you might know um, and we'll also have an amazing spatial designer Danielle Romek who's also in the exhibition holding that um, but a great way to stay in touch is 
is just looking at the website because I'm sure as more conversations pop up, we'll be responding to them with public programs. And Emily, there seems to be a fine line between artist and curator when it comes to your work. Uh, you seem to put a lot of yourself into your curatorial work and, su- and of course, supporting and championing championing artists. Um, how do you na- navigate these two roles yeah. for artist and curator? Um, I think I'm becoming quite sceptical of both um, mm-hmm. and the definitions and assumptions that they hold. I'm starting to think maybe I'm just a storyteller okay. and whatever that um, end result is, is irrelevant to the story being told, you know, and that was the case with 4,000 fish. I mm. was left in that grey area and I thought, well, maybe this is actually something that's saying that curator artists aren't our terms, <laughs> you know, traditionally, culturally, we're storytellers and maybe that's where I sit now. So that's how I think about it. What do you feel most sceptical about curator? I think there's a power relationship. Sure. There's a power relationship that I think you have to be very conscious of as a curator. Um, I try to neutralise that space and for me that's the kind of scepticism that I have of curatorial practice, particularly, you know, as a young person, often working with senior artists, what does that mean? Who holds the knowledge? Who holds the power? Mm. And so by stepping away from that term, I feel like I might be able to create some more space around those dictated roles, you know? That sounds very insightful. Could you elaborate on the 4,000 Fish project for listeners that might not be familiar with what that was? Yeah, that was a really... That was huge. I actually remember (laughs) um, going and uh, it was so beautiful, just the sort of um, elements of participation Mm. and the sort of... um, sort of poetic use of time and duration of all these different elements sort of coming together, but I might let you describe it. Yeah, 4,000 Fish is a project that was inspired by the Eora Fisherwomen of um, Bahrain, Sydney Harbour. Um, in 1790, uh, Lieutenant David Collins, colonist, recorded that there'd been a catch of 4,000 fish just off the coast mm. of Kirribilli in one day. And the population of New South Wales at that time is, I believe, less than 2,000. And so that gives you a real understanding of the colonial relationships to that landscape. I'm pretty sure not every single person in New South Wales got two fish. (laughs) And that was in complete contrast to this mindful, considered, sustainable Mm. relationship that women had developed on those waters, you know, on their beautiful handmade canoes, nawis, they'd be fishing line, hand, drawing in each one, being mindful that every fish they remove is one less for the ocean. And so in looking at that history... I brought together a creative team, again, with Lucy Simpson, um, two senior artists from the South Coast, uh, Phyllis Stewart and uh, Stephen Russell, along with Mm. a young Gadigal woman, Lily Madden, who contributed a song in 
um, the Sydney language. We invited participants to come, fill a bucket of water on a wharf that we'd built, and then to take it into the cutaway space at Barangaroo and to fill it with one of 4,000 fish malts, which were frozen. They'd then go into another freezer, industrial freezer, grab a fish, and then transport it back to the wharf, continue walking outward, and they'd come across this, I think it was a 20-foot uh, recreation of a Nawi and place that fish onto a burning Banksia fire and it would slowly drip back into the ocean and what that what was really important about that is I'm so used to people checking out of conversations about our history in Australia it's really difficult to have those conversations people say it's not me I didn't do it I didn't take 4,000 fish and suddenly the silence grows and so I believe personally we need to be active about our histories we need to do something about it and so it was interesting for people to come along take that frozen fish you know representative of their history and do something with it it was very physical you know people would get wet from the seawater salty there'd be in a freezer there'd be before a fire the tide would be wobbling the wharf it was a really physical process and i think um the uh context of history is so important because it's still it's a history that we're living like it's it's not like um you know colonization is something that only happened in the past and that these sort of attitudes towards the finite resources of our planet are something that you know we're not guilty of we're certainly still um having a a, an attitude towards yeah the natural resources that is totally unsustainable we're still um sucking it dry so to speak absolutely and you know there's there's a difference between responsibility and blame It's two very different things Mm. that we ask. And as Aboriginal people, we know what it is to inherit history. Um, And I think everyone deep down knows what that is. It was about Sydney siders taking responsibility for returning something that never should have been taken in the first place. And what came from that was a beautiful kind of coming together of people. Some people didn't read the text and the stories they wrote. They just wanted to come and make like 50 frozen fish. (laughs) There were some history goers that didn't want to make fish that just wanted to stand around and kind of talk about it. Um, And it didn't matter what that entry point is. You know, history has many entry points and it will still resonate with me afterwards. And um, just before we wrap up, I also wanted to um, touch upon your exhibition at Fairfield. Mm. Is that still... Is that yes, still open? I was there yesterday. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it, it closes on the exact same day as Voyage. Oh, oh so there you go. You can get your, you can get your Emily fix. Yeah. If you don't get into Fairfield, you can go to UTS. Exactly. No, that's a, I really, really love that exhibition. It's a small exhibition um, with four artists' works. Robert Fielding um, from the APY region, Megan Cope, Danielle Romek, again, an artist who's in Void, and Kent Morris. And it's about, um, you know, artists 
articulating relationships to place through responding to found industrialised materials. Mm. You know, uh, you would have seen those beautiful striking geometric works from Kent Morris. Yes. I think we've got about nine in the, of them in the exhibition. You know, he just kind of wanders around city urban scapes that are still meaningful to him. And he takes these photographs of these built environments and the birds that inhabit them nonetheless and creates these tessellated forms that almost look like um, shields from his ancestors. Mm. So many different ways that artists are responding to that. But again, just creating conversations that are difficult to articulate with our artworks in the space. Emily, thank you so much for joining us this morning. If you're just tuning in, you have been listening to Emily McDaniel, whose um, exhibition Void is upcoming at UTS. When does it open? It opens on the 25th, so not next Tuesday, but the following Tuesday. There you go. Put it in your Google calendar. You're listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5, and this is Wadir with Soap Kills. Soap Kills with Wadir. And now back to art, or in this case, theatre. You are listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5 FM, and I am Giselle Stambra. Right now, we are joined with Danielle Harvey. Have you ever wanted to live inside an Edgar Allan Poe poem? Well... You know, I appreciate your eccentric tastes, and now is your chance. Stretching over an expansive 30 rooms in a two-story warehouse, Daniel Harvey is currently the festival director of the infamous Festival of Dangerous Ideas in its ninth year. She is the founder of Pop and Screen Culture Festival Binge Fest, founder of Antidote Festival Ideas, Art and Action, former executive producer of popular podcast it's a long story and former co-curator of it's all about women's my my what an expansive cv i was felt like i was out of breath just getting through all of your incredible achievements thank you it's so good to have you in here um on radio thank you for joining us thank you for having me Danielle, for those that um, are not very familiar with this theatrical work can you give us a little rundown of what um what the poem is about 
Well, so it's called A Midnight Visit and um, it's taking place at 655 King Street, which is just near St Peter Station, so at the end of um, Newtown, so Newtown there. And we've taken over a warehouse that is absolutely massive. Uh, I think it grows every day. I don't know if that's <laughs> how that's possible, but it, it's a, we're getting to the end of um, a very long build process where we've transformed this warehouse into Australia's first uh, large-scale immersive um, experience um, based on the works of Edgar Allan Poe, um, inspired by his works. You don't have to be familiar with any of his work. You, Most people, uh, you know, many people who are like a Simpsons fans know The Raven or The Telltale Heart because they've referenced him. <laughs> but, it, you know, you may be studied um, The Pit and the Pendulum at school or something like that. But if you're not familiar, you'll still have a wild time. And it's, so it's not just one poem. It's based on a one short story. He was he was really, um, in the true sense of the word, prolific. And while he's sort of really well known for setting up the, um, the all of the gothic tropes that we, we we know of now, being buried alive and guilt and um, you know all things. Um, that go bump in the night kind of coming at you. Uh, he also wrote um, a, a lot of early sci-fi and he was um, the person that inspired Jules Verne to then go on and write his works. He uh, had a really great sense of humour. He used to play all of these like hoaxes in newspapers, write these articles that seemed really real, um, which is sort of the steampunk element, these amazing inventions that were going to do things and then the papers like the next day would have to say, oh, that actually wasn't real, that was just a story. Um, he wrote Detective novels. He was the person that kind of set up the modern detective, the Sherlock Holmes style detective that Arthur Conan Doyle ended up doing, uh, ended up basing Sherlock Holmes on. So he was, you know, genuinely prolific. And so when we were trying to think of something amazing, um, I, he, he, he's right. He, you know, he, he has so much he can draw on. So it's not just scary. It's funny. It's um, a bit, you know, um, sexy at times, <laughs> and we've got a really multi-skilled cast, and we've been working with um, lots and lots of really multi-skilled set designers and um, set makers, props makers. It's pretty incredible. And when you say the experience, uh, or you describe it as experiential, could you break down a little bit what that might involve? I know some people, when they go to the, the theatre, um, have hesitations about um, how involved they're going mm -hmm. to be. Um, could you talk a little bit about how you've structured the experience? Yeah, so we're basically saying, you know, it's a choose-your-own-adventure. So if you're somebody that just does not want to participate and I'm one of those people for sure like if I get somebody looking at me and I think oh my god it's going to you know that kind of cabaret participation you can um, definitely choose to not be involved but if you're somebody that really wants to get in there you can get in there and follow your own path so whether that's following a character to make sense of your journey whether it's just going through the rooms you can go through everything we've also um partnered with the cypher room and escape room um, oh wow yeah so Giselle loves a good escape room <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's true yeah we've it's got true. we've got a really great puzzle from them so oh. if you're somebody that likes to put things together maybe that's going to be the way you want to explore the space wow. so it's not it's not just theatre and it's not just um, an art installation. It's not just an escape room. It's um, a kind of crazy combination of all of these things. And, um, yeah, we're pretty excited. It's pretty It's pretty huge. That sounds like there's um, 
like so uh, much for different audiences here? Did you have a particular audience in mind, or just trying to get it as as expansive as possible? We just wanted to do something new and really let people play and. Um, it, it feels like it's the greatest thing that we can kind of do right now is like invite a whole bunch of artists to come together to create this vision of this dream world and um, the, the whole thing set inside a dream of Edgar Allan Poe so you meet people pulled from his real life and also pulled from his fictional life but as I said you don't need to know who these people are to have a good time uh, and you don't need to engage with the characters if you don't want to so um, yeah it inviting audience along to play, inviting performers along to play. We have circus performers, burlesque performers, amazing actors, singers. Um, so it's quite a cacophony and then a really cool bar attached to it called the Raven's Rest. Yeah, do you have, have they given you any um, insight in what they're planning? They've, they're curating something, but it's called the, it's the Studio Neon, is that right? Yeah, the curators. So, so Studio Neon, um, which is head by Aaron T a really well-known chef he has joined us to create the Raven's Rest um, which is part of the experience that you can go to before or after um, coming to the show and he's revealing to us later this week what he's got uh, planned but he does he keeps asking us for like really weird and wonderful things like have you got a heart mould by any any <laughs> chance like an anatomical heart mould so he's definitely <laughs> pulling from the world too so he's incredible and Studio mm. Neon are known for making um, quite incredible um, uh, things so they felt like a natural partner for this and and we've got really great partnerships with you know so you can just get a normal drink as well <laughs> <laughs> and can you talk a little bit uh, more about the the contemporary aspects that have inspired the this production sure um, you know like uh, like many people you know I was a massive fan of stranger things and and this that was uh, stranger things too uh, I worked with uh, one of my producing partners, Simon Hayward out of Groundswell, um, to do the largest fan event for Stranger Things 2 at the Opera House last year. And when we met and we saw what we could kind of create with just, you know, like not that long and for just one particular group, that was really a big part of the start of what, what we realised people really, really, really wanting. My other producing partner, Kirsten Siddle, and I have both come out of performing arts um, centres uh, and been programming for a long time and we've been um, really had you know the privilege of looking at lots of stuff overseas but we really haven't seen anything of this scale um, here and so we've come together the three of us um, to put this on because we haven't seen it yet here and we know how amazing this is and it's not for just one particular audience um, yeah we just we just want to really give people an opportunity to to play yeah. And Danielle, you worked on It's a Long Story, which is a podcast in partnership with the Opera House that looked at moments that made people, well, the people that we that we relate to when it comes to culture, the events that shape them. Mm-hmm. What, um, what, would, what was it like working on that podcast and what did you learn from, from the many individuals that went through? Oh, I mean, so, so much, but also just in the process of going back to making and sound and how sound and music can and it can interplay and that's something that we've kind of worked really hard at with a midnight visit um we've got an amazing sound designer um who often works in the computer gaming world and so what he brings to it and the way that he approaches spaces are you know very unique and so um you know from from the podcast stuff and just about sound and music and what it takes to kind of make something 
emotive and and things like that obviously sound is such a huge huge part of that and then when you're dealing with poetry and short stories that are a particular style um you know you really need a careful soundtrack um and i think that that's what um our sound designer kapow um has done um it's it's kind of unique working with all of these different kinds of artists because no one part of the project relies on just one one element, one artistic element. So every not one thing's doing all of the heavy lifting. We've got, you know, great sound design, we've got great visual design, we've got these performers doing amazing things. Um, you know, you'll also notice some certain smells and things like that. So everything's sort of, you know, combined is uh, trying to give you this kind of unique and immersive experience. That's what immersive is. And how do you uh, manage collaborating on such a large scale? I know that some creatives uh, can be uh, quite uh, protective of their authorship over certain things. Do you have any insights or advice that you can offer for for people that are looking to collaborate on large scales? Um, Yeah, I guess... Um, have a, I mean, hindsight's always brilliant. <laughs> um, and, you know, this has been done um, quickly and it's, it's, it's self-funded. We have some investors. Um, but um, making sure that people understand what they're signing up for, like there's not, we you know, we have an awful lot of recycled um, uh, things that we've used to, to make the set. Um, but having a very strong vision and being very clear and very consistent in those choices so that everyone's working off the same brief uh, is hopefully what I think people will find is that it's cohesive, at least in my head. <laughs> um, and that's all that matters. If one person can kind of make sense of the entire world and that's what we're trying to create is an entire world with many, many people contributing to that, as long as you give enough freedom for them to be able to... Um, uh, do that what they do best, but also be consistent with the briefing. Um, I think that's where the um, the great stuff is made. And you you would call yourself a freelance curator because you do so much. Can you give us a sense of what that means for for our listeners? How you balance all these different what you? I don't balance. <laughs> you don't balance. I don't balance. It's tricky, isn't it? Because I really do similar work, and I mean, each week looks like something different, and you have to get used to there being no routine. And some people think that's an extraordinary thing to have no routine, but it takes a lot out of you, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And then these like big projects come along, and they just you know take slam over. you for six, and mm. so you're um. Yeah, so it's a really hard, uh, really hard uh, thing to kind of come to. And for example, just last week, um, uh, one of the other projects I work on is the Festival of Dangerous Ideas, and that was announced on Monday, and we went into rehearsal for a midnight visit on Monday. (laughs) So um, that was a day that was, you know, incredibly intense, and you're kind of dividing yourself in half. And I'm very, very, very lucky that I have amazing family and friends who um who sweep up after me (laughs) yeah and what what can we expect from dangerous ideas what's some highlights well it's on cockatoo island this year um which is the first time so it's it's ninth year but it's leaving the opera house and it's on cockatoo island and uh i think we're 
selling it um, in as a pass, so you can't dip in anymore. You have to immerse yourself in the ideas. I, I guess immersiveness is kind of a theme to all of my work at the moment, uh, because I, I, I think that that perhaps is one of the most dangerous things that you can do right now is to just stop and pay attention. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so we've quarantined everyone to an island. Um, there's fabulous art. Um, there's also a lot of you know, very big topics being dealt with nationalism, the rise of populism, um, microdosing, uh, uh, all the way through to um, um, the sort of the counterculture clashes that we're seeing online. So there's a lot going on. So, um, uh, and, you know, I think either Saturday, Sunday come for both days. Um, I believe at the moment we also have a special uh, night um, with Stephen Fry at the town hall, I believe that the tickets for that are now exhausted. So it's been a big week, guys. Yeah, yeah. I think that um, is a great way, though, to format the festival because, uh, in the context of the things that you have just been discussing, we are in the, like a dip in. You know, on Facebook, we only click on the articles that we want to see. Um, so it seems like even in the context of the content, there's a cohesion between the content and your approach to how it, it's uh, formatted for mm. uh, your audience. Yeah, and that's what um, I'm really about and um, Broad Encounters is the company that I formed with Kirsten and that's what we're really about is looking at um, opportunities that kind of really put audiences first, whether that's in something more serious like the Versatile Dangerous Ideas all, all the way through to something more playful like a midnight visit, um, really starting to, um, yeah, well, that's the vibe that, that we want to kind of work, work along is like that, you know, what are audiences want and what aren't they getting and what can we help make happen for them and whether that's time and space to think or a great playground to creep, crawl um, and slide through. That's, you know, that's a little clue for some of the things that might happen at a midnight visit. Um, you know, that's what we want to be making. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. If you like the sound of what you've been hearing, a midnight visit runs from the 3rd of October till the 9th of December. So Halloween, just in time for Halloween. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> With preview performances on Wednesday this week in Newtown. Preview tickets are $25 and the sessions in October are $45. This is a 15 plus event due to the adult concept explored. Thank you so much. Uh, this is time for another track. This time it's by Yasmin Bay, formerly known as Most Deaf. It's Auditorium up next. We can't wait to hear um, from, more from our speakers next week. Peace. 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 Huh. peace, 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 peace. Power. Power. Uh, uh, uh. Mad liberator. Death operator. Rock the data. Amazing flavor. Yo, 
That was Auditorium featuring Slick Rick by Most Def. You are back listening to Canvas on FBI Radio 94.5 or online. And if you are is listening online, and in the very small chance that you're listening online <laughs> in the Netherlands... <laughs> In Endhoven, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, check out an exhibition that I'm in there this weekend. Tell us, what are you putting in for all our our Netherlands listeners? All the listeners that we have in the Netherlands. Um, It's uh, uh, some work that is made for, actually for an exhibition here um, at the MCA. It's called Lazine, Find the Lover You Deserve. And um, it has some digital work that I've been making and I'll also be participating in making a little webinar (laughs) webinar, um, (laughs) as the sort of a performative component for for people over there. So, yeah, if you're listening in the Netherlands, it's called Robot Love. (laughs) And it's like a dating site, is that correct? Oh, that's my um, component, yeah, yeah. Um, But the whole exhibition is looking at... Robot Love. what what uh, robots and technology can teach us um, about love. Um, ah. Speaking of dating sites, yeah. um, make sure you catch the Sydney Underground Film Festival, which is on all day at the Factory Theatre today. Uh, there's a film called Behind the Curve, which are, uh, which is which follows uh, flat earthers. Do you know what a flat earther is? I do know what a flat earther <laughs> is. I believe that they're people that think the world is the the earth is flat the that's planet right. is flat so like going medieval that's right science. and so they uh, follow a conference and there's also like a dedicated dating site so you can date other flat earther believers so imagine believing and go for long romantic walks along the flat beach that's with right the sunset which is you know, like <laughs> apparently everywhere on the same planet. Like, how is that? Anyway, I don't want let's to Let's not let's yeah, not bother yeah, our yeah. poor heads about it. <laughs> um, but uh, Bertie Blackman uh, didn't make it in the studio today. But we will follow this up, and hopefully they'll be up uh, coming up on a following show. This is Canvas, brought to you by a team of artists: Giselle Stanborough, yours truly, David Capra, and Sabella D'Souza. And we will be playing our final track, Trader Joe. John- Pussy. Happy Sunday. I think I like him more than I like Trader Joe's. I'll swallow kids if we start eating vegetables. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.